Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small, a podcast about brand development, entrepreneurship, and innovation in the modern world. In this episode, I'm joined by Heidi Zack, founder of Third Love, an American lingerie company. The brand is known for marketing body positivity and offering size-inclusive bras and half-cup sizes. Third Love is also known for its online fit finder quiz, which helps users determine their best fit and bra style. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small. Today, I'm joined by Heidi Zack of Third Love. Heidi, thank you so much for joining me today. Excited to be here and talk to you. Yeah, so I'd like to start out with your upbringing. Um, Where did you grow up and what would you say your childhood was like? I grew up in a town called Youngstown, which Hmm. is not Youngstown, Ohio, is Youngstown, New York. It's about 15, 20 minutes north of Niagara Falls on the New York side. Uh, And it was a small town. I mean, my town had probably 3000 people in it. So Mm. it was pretty, pretty small. It was pretty rural. Uh, And it was reasonably simple, I I guess. You know, there was one elementary school, one middle school, one high school. You know, everyone sort of knew each other. It was a pretty small community. Uh, And yeah, I don't know. I think it was it was more rural than it was urban. That's for sure. Got it. So uh, growing up, what were some of your aspirations and interests? Did you sell any lemonade stands or sell any products or anything like that growing up? Yeah, no, I was not the person who was the young entrepreneur necessarily. I, you know, my first job at 14 was working at a farmer's market in Youngstown where I grew up. Mm. And it was a very large, uh, very large farmer's market. Yeah. And so I did all the in-store merchandising of the produce. We had an old fashioned cash register Mm. from I think the 1800s and we would write out all the orders and there was a lot of customer service involved. And as you could imagine, small town, you kind of knew a lot of people who kind of came in often. Yeah. Uh, And, you know, I had other jobs as well in high school and college Mm. from waitressing to teaching at summer camps. Mm. Um, but you know, for me, I, I did always really like retail. Mm. So that was definitely something that I enjoyed. And a lot of my, you know, what I would call my more summer jobs revolved around the retail space. Certainly. I saw you went on to uh, study at Duke. What did you end up studying there? And what was that overall experience like? And were you involved with any uh, athletics or clubs? Yeah. So when I was in high school and actually younger, I did competitive gymnastics most of my sub 18 years old. So I yeah. spent 20 hours a week, wow. at, you know, at peak doing in the gym. Yeah. And I, you know, as I thought about college and I wasn't good enough to do D1 or D2, but could have d- done potentially D3, mm. um, just really made the decision that I wasn't going to do gymnastics. It was just had gotten to be a lot. And yeah. I wanted to just focus on the college experience. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I ended up going to Duke. It's, it's kind of a funny story because this will age me, I suppose, but I was <laughs> looking through the U S news and world report book, which was really kind of what the, you know, there was the internet, but no one really used it at the time. So yeah. I mean, I would go through this huge, you know, Bible of a book and I was reading about a lot of different schools 
And uh, my parents wanted me to stay closer to home. And I stumbled upon Duke. I had kind of heard of it, didn't really know a ton about it. And I read the description and I was like, this sounds like the right school for me. Mm. And my parents were like, uh, Duke, North Carolina, like, what are you talking about? And and I was, they were like, well, if you get in, we'll go see it. Yeah. And so I had never seen it. I haven't, hadn't visited and I applied, I applied early and I, mm. I ended up getting in and wow. then we went down there to see it. So I actually had gotten into the school before I had visited it, Wow! but, you know, said yes. And that's how I ended up at Duke, mm. um, where, you know, I was a tour guide at Duke. I, I gave other students tours and I also worked at the local YMCA teaching gymnastics in Durham mm. and I waitressed and did a lot of other jobs as well while I was there. Incredible. So what did you end up studying there? And um, what were some of the aspirations uh, through your experience there as well? Yeah. So I originally thought I might want to be a lawyer mm. and I started off doing a lot of poli sci. Then I decided, oh, this is not a good idea. Um, so I ended up majoring in economics. I minored in poli sci. And then I also got the year I was there, while I was there over those four years, Duke implemented a brand new program, which actually still exists today. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's called something slightly different, but it was called Markets and Management. In essence, it was an entrepreneurship program. Yeah. And we did a business plan and created a business plan and we worked in teams. And that was one of my favorite experiences at school. Mm. And um, I really, really liked that. And today, actually, the a lot of the students come and visit me every year at Third Love's office. A bunch of Duke students come out to Silicon Valley awesome. to learn more about um, different companies. So it's interesting to hear that that program's still going on. Um, but yeah, it was more of a general business mm. uh, focus, though it was econ and Duke is a liberal arts school, so they yeah. don't have true business classes. Got it. Incredible. Yeah. So you, I heard you mentioned uh, retail, and I also saw kind of some of your background, like very cool experiences, uh, Aeropostale, you got into Google as well. What could you kind of describe your career journey and especially leaving Duke then kind of what, what, what path you took? Yeah. So as is probably still the case today, there's a lot of banks and consulting firms that came on campus yeah. uh, to interview. And so I really wanted to move to New York uh, after after college, and my parents were like, "Great, we'll find some some way to support yourself." So you know, yeah. Um, so when I was thinking about what role to take, a part of it honestly was what job could I take where I could support myself in New York, mm. um, and so obviously those are two of the more taxing jobs in terms of hours, but yeah. also you know have pretty good pay. So I did a lot of consulting and banking interviews. I ended up taking a job um, as a banking analyst at Bank of America mm. in their retail group. So I went to their retail consumer group and I was there for two years, um, worked really hard, but learned so much. I yeah. would totally do it again if I if I had that choice, I would do the same thing. Yeah. And then I went to McKinsey for a couple of years, but really what I was trying to do was get into a retail company yeah. on the offside. And what was really hard, and one thing that I came to realize was that it was really hard because everyone was trying to get me to go to the finance department because mm. that was my background, right? So I got a lot of job offers that were more like financial analysts at a at a retail company, I'm like, I don't want to be in finance my whole life. Yeah. And I knew that. And so that's kind of how I made the decision to go to business school was because I really wanted to sort of change my functional area 
and keep retail, but mm. move to the company side. And all of those movements, you know, seem seemingly were really hard. It was also, you know, when I graduated, there was a recession. And yeah. so there wasn't as many opportunities. And so business school made a lot of sense. So mm. that's why I went to business school. Um, yeah. And then business school, basically, uh, it was kind of the same as undergrad where a lot of people and most of my classmates took jobs in banks and consulting firms, both for, for their summer internships and after they graduated. And yeah. so I was one of the last people in my business school class to get an internship. Wow. I remember talking to my parents. I think it was legitimately end of April, early May. And I think classes were ending like around Memorial Day. And I did mm. not have a summer internship and everyone else did. My parents yeah. were like, you went to this business school. It's really expensive. You're, you know, this time and money and like, what do you do? And I, I was like, retail companies hire at the last minute. And I was doing cold emails and cold calling companies to find a summer internship. Oh my goodness. So my, my friend and I, who she was, we were um, both leaders of the retail club at MIT. We would get together. We'd have a, we'd open a glass of, we'd op open a bottle of wine. We'd have a glass of wine. This is like end of day after classes. Yeah. And we just like start cold outreach and cold emails, putting together lists, figuring out contacts and just reaching out. And I actually got in touch with the head of HR at the time at Aeropostal. Mm. And he was like, actually, you know, our SVP of new business is looking to bring in a summer intern, intern this summer. And so I took the train from Boston to New York. I went in to meet with him and I ended up getting that summer internship, which turned wow. into my job but definitely it was not because i was just taking interviews of like what came to campus it was a yeah. lot of scrappiness trying to find the right job wow i, I love that kind of correlates with your college journey early on using the book i'm curious how did you find these contacts was it online and then how did you navigate towards like hr get a hold of them how did that work so it's interesting my i had taken this class at duke which is a really good class it was a sales class mm -hmm. and what was really interesting is that, you know, one thing you, you come to realize, I think, especially after business school is it's not like, it's always these classes that you're sort of like, what's the point that are the most impactful. So sales is, if you think about sales, sales is something everyone does at their job. It doesn't yeah. matter what you do at third love. If I think about today as a CEO, like, what do I spend a lot of my time doing? Like I'm in sales. Yeah. Like I'm selling third love to a partner. I'm selling third love to investors. I'm selling third love to potential candidates and employees. For sure. So I had taken the sales class and it had these, this method of how you reach out, like what's the intro? How do you talk about the person and say something unique to them mm. to get their attention? And then how do you keep it short and snappy and make it really easy for them to say yes to something? So there's a, there's a bunch of these things. So really using that format um, and yeah. then always following up with a phone call. And, and again, I think today, you know, picking up the phone and trying to get in actual contact with somebody is really important because if you can get somebody on the phone, a lot can happen. Yeah. So yeah, it was just a lot of kind of perseverance of reach out. I hope you guys are enjoying this episode so far around Heidi's entrepreneurial journey. I'd like to say thank you to our mid-break sponsor, Magic Mind. So if you're like me, you have to keep your mind focused on so many different things and balancing that is critical. And how do you do that without getting distracted? When I'm editing these episodes, there's a lot of components going on. Very often, balancing all these different duties within the podcast and also my business, I can get distracted very easily. 
I used to resort to a lot of caffeine and finding ways to keep my energy up and also maintain that focus. So I found this shot that you simply drink, it tastes great, and it has functional ingredients that helps energize myself, keeps my focus, and also kind of reduces that stress. I've been trying Magic Mind for the past few days, and while I'm editing this episode, I've been noticing a drastic change in my focus, raising my output and maximizing my efficiency. Instead of increasing my caffeine intake, I've been substituting with these shots, and I've been noticing a massive change in my overall workflow. Some of the functional ingredients they include is matcha, ashwagandha, lion's mane. Of course, these all revolve around nootropics and brain function. So whether it's editing a podcast, managing your workflow, or whatever that busy lifestyle you have is, I highly recommend Magic Mind to balance that out. The Magic Mind team created a super offer for me to share with you guys. You get up to 56% off your first subscription in the next 10 days and 20% off your one-time purchase and 20% off your one-time purchase with code STARTINGSMALL20. You can get it at the link in this description and make sure you redeem that discount code STARTINGSMALL20, but make sure to hurry because that 56% discount only lasts 10 days from this episode episode airing date. I hope you enjoy the rest of the episode. So I would I would love to hear kind of a, around this time 2012 is when Third Love comes to play. When did the ideation happen? What was the inspiration and where were you working at this time? What were you doing? Yeah, so after I had been at Aeropostale about 5 years and then moved to the West Coast to Silicon Valley and I ended up instead of going to another retailer which I was debating doing I ended up going to Google because yeah. I really wanted to work for a tech company. And mm-hmm. so I was at Google having a good time but knowing that it probably wasn't my long-term career path. Yeah. And I was honestly just inspired by all these entrepreneurs I was meeting. Yeah. And at that point in time I'm I kind of had that moment where I was like I think I could I could do this myself. Mm. And uh and so but didn't really have a business idea or had some ones that were great ideas. And then <laughs> I was shopping at a Victoria's Secret store. So, you know, I had that moment, I was in the mall in the Victoria's Secret store buying bras, not a great shopping experience, you know, the smells and the velour and the pink stripe bag and all the things that yeah. I realized walking out of the store that I really disliked. And to me was anti who I was as mm. a person, yet I was spending my money with this brand yeah. because there weren't really other options. So when I went home that night, I was doing a lot of online research because I'm like, somebody's got to have an online bra brand and there were none. And by, by none, I mean, vertically integrated kind of digital first. Yep raw brands. There were, there were zero, a, a few launched around the time we did. Yeah. Uh, at that time there were none in D to C direct to consumer wasn't a term. It didn't even exist at that point. Yeah. So there was a real opportunity obviously to go after a huge Titan in the industry For who sure. had not evolved very much at all in 30 years. For sure. So going on, um, what, what was the prototyping process looking like? What, what were you trying to solve with kind of Victoria's Secret and kind of transferring into third love? What were you trying to solve in that, that market? Yeah, a couple of things. I mean, on the product, you know, more sizes, uh, more, more inclusive sizes. So Victoria's yeah. Secret now has a lot more sizes. At the time, they barely went above like a double D. Mm. Um, we we went much higher in terms of our cup sizes. Um, we were the, still the only brand in the world that offers half cups. So we have this A and a half, B and a half. So just like shoes have half sizes, our bras have half cups. Yeah, and that offered a lot better fit for women. 
Um, so that was like one one point of differentiation. The second was really a brand for the modern woman. So we mm. were one of the first brands to really take a step back and say, what does it look like to market to women instead of men and intimates? Mm. Um, and then the third was really the digital experience. So how would we sell a product that's super hard to fit? Yeah. Line. And that was actually a huge question we would get from investors in the early days is like, how, if you, if it's such a fit heavy category, how can you ever sell it online? So yeah. having our fitting room, developing that technology um, to really allow a woman to be able to find her size from the comfort of home was hugely important. Yeah. I mean, obviously something that, you know, Victoria's Secret wasn't doing any of those things at the time. Yeah. I, I would love to hear about, especially like the virtual styling. What Did that launch when Third Love launched? And how did that kind of software, how does that look? Yeah. I mean, we actually originally launched with an app. So we had technology on an app that let a woman size herself. And what we came mm. to find over, you know, a year or two was a lot of early adopters were super comfortable with their iPhones and this is iPhone three and four. So early yeah. days, iPhone, right. <laughs> using it, but a lot of other people were like, this is not, I'm not comfortable shopping through an app or sizing myself this way. So we transitioned from the app to our fitting room and probably like 2016, I think. Yeah. And since then, that's really been, it's really been a web, web-based uh, version of how we help a woman find our size. Mm. I would like to dive into the 24-7 t-shirt bra, which really Third Love is kind of like revolves around, specializes in. Can you kind of describe that product line and what inspired that specifically as well? Yeah, so that was our first hero product because when we set out to build our first bra or create create and design our first bra. It's like, what's the bra that is the ubiquitous bra that most women wear every day? Yeah. And what we call it, you know, women call it the t-shirt bra. And what that means is it's sort of your everyday bra. It's that bra that you can wear under almost anything and it makes you look good and it makes your clothes look good. Yeah. And so our idea was how do we build a better t-shirt bra? So at the time, a lot of t-shirt bras had really hard foam cups. They were very kind of made you look a little more artificial. And so mm. we used a different type of foam that was super lightweight, really conformed to a woman's body shape and just had a much light, lighter, more natural look and feel. Yeah. And we always said, you know, it's a bra so comfortable, you'll forget you're wearing it. And mm. so that was really the... The idea behind this bra was, could we create something that she would forget she had on during the day? Mm. And we that's what we really did with our hero product. Incredible. Which is still our number one seller today. I mean, we have wow. a lot of other styles, but yeah. still today, it's still our top seller. That's amazing. So what about uh, marketing, especially at launch? I'm sure it kind of changes uh, into today. But how, how do you market? Kind of explain. You mentioned direct to consumer. The investors were questioning. But how do you market, especially a bra online? Um what did that look like? Yeah, it's, I mean, look, early days till now is very different. Yeah. In the early days of Third Love, no one knew who we were and no one trusted us. Today, if somebody hasn't tried it, they've probably heard about our brand from a friend or have a friend who wears it. Yeah. But in the early days of Third Love, we had great bras. I was doing our Facebook ads at the time and our CPAs were like hundreds of dollars. And we're like, this is not going to work. Yeah. Um, and we knew we had great product. And so we came up with this crazy idea and it was called Try Before You Buy. And the idea was, we'll ship a bra to a woman, let her take the tags off and wear the bra for 30 days. And if she loves it, she keeps it and she pays us for it. If she doesn't love it, we'll pay for return shipping. Wow. So to de-risk the whole purchase and also not take any cash up front. Mm. When I say this today, everyone's like, whoa, well, these programs exist and you know, all, yada, yada. And like, we were the first to do it. And wow. then people 
copied it because it was pretty impactful. And yeah. so, um, and there's a lot of other services that kind of offer this experience. I mean, we built it by cobbling together a bunch of stuff on the back end. All this stuff was crazy, but it worked. Yeah. And so, you know, really because no one knew us, it was really, really important. We were able to convince her to, to try us. Mm. Um, you know, today I think we have other challenges. There's always a challenge or overcoming. I mean, today we have a lot more styles. Mm. And so it's really about how are we communicating, you know, the value of those styles to a customer in a way that really makes sense, that's compelling. But marketing is look, the the landscape is constantly changing, the yeah. customer is constantly changing. So it's a never ending cycle of trying new things and testing yeah. and learning. With those learnings and the feedback with the marketing, I'm curious, do you do you find a main demographic for third love, age range, roughly? I know it's universal product for women, but what would you say? Yeah, I mean, the core is the 25 to 50 year old woman. Um, I would say it's more probably about her household income or her mindset than it is her age yes. as, as much. So we we kind of refer to it as adulting. I think there's some point in your life where you're just, you want better quality products. You want things that aren't going to fall apart. You want things you, you know, it's, it's quality over quantity. Mm. Um, so I think that's really an important milestone. And some women may, may act that way when they're 18 or some women may be 30, but it's, yeah. it's more of a, an outlook versus an age. For sure. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and then I saw last year that you guys actually acquired uh, kit undergarments. Can you kind of explain the inspiration behind that, especially bringing on a whole new kind of product line with with what they were selling? Yeah. So because our on average, our customer is in you know our top our top demographic is thirty to forty. Mm -hmm. um, as we thought about Gen Z and what that customer wants and how we get a customer who is younger to come into the fold and she may not be ready for the t-shirt bra or whatever, yeah. but there's other products we could offer. Um, it really made sense to, you know, partner with uh, Jamie and Simone who were the founders of Kit and bring them in the third love family so mm. that we had a vehicle for um, product and branding that was more targeted to that customer who was in her early twenties. Yep. Certainly. I'm curious, how, do, how does that, the two work together? Um, are the, are the co-founders still working with you guys as well from, how does, yeah. how does that look? Yeah, yeah, so we're, you know, we're still, it's still early days. We're still figuring out yeah. the exact product positioning and the exact brand positioning. Um, so that's still a work in progress. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's, we're, we're just still kind of testing what's working. Yep, certainly. Um, kind of concluding here, I would, I would love to hear what is, uh, besides the t-shirt bra, what would you say like line wise is the top seller for third love? You can even add in their, uh, underkick, um, garments with there as well. Yeah. So our top, we have a couple top long running styles, a plunge bra, a, a fuller coverage bra, but I would say most exciting has been, we launched in sports about a year and a half ago. So we have an active bra called the kinetic mm. and it's a cup band size sports bra. So same bra sizing as our regular bras. Yeah. And that's growing really, really quickly and has done really well. So it's exciting, not just to be in a different bra, but it's really truly a different category. I mean, active yeah. is a whole nother category. Yeah. Um, and then we've been launching a lot of new styles lately, like our minimizer and our unlined bra that have just been really well received and mm. have really 
gone well above what we've forecasted. Mm. So it's exciting to see there's a lot of market potential beyond kind of the core of what we're doing Yeah, and more to come too. I love it. Well, I like to conclude each episode with this. If you can share one piece of advice with an aspiring entrepreneur, maybe something you've learned or regret along the way, what would you say that would be? Oh, this question. There's so many things. Um, yeah. <laughs> let's see. I, I think that when you are hiring, and I get this question a lot from earlier stage entrepreneurs who are going to hire their first one or two or couple employees. Mm-hmm. I always say what you should do is take a step back and create a a list, right? And and on the list, you should write a couple bullets. It doesn't need to be that many, three to five mm-hmm. of what are your superpowers? What do you love doing, mm. right? And really identify and write it down. It's really important you write it down and you look at it. Because yeah. usually what you're good at is your superpower. It's what you enjoy doing most yeah. of the time, almost all the time, 99%. And then- Think about your business and where you are at any moment in time, because it changes, of course, as you scale. And what's super important for your business to be successful? Mm. What are those skills? What are the things that need to get done tomorrow to make your business successful? And list out a couple of those things. Mm. And then see where there are holes, because there's you and your skill set and what you're really good at. And then there's the things that are crucial, super crucial to your business, right? Whatever those couple things are. And if you do that, then you can really identify if you're going to hire one or two people, like what, what do their superpowers need to be? Yeah. Cause I think oftentimes, and I've done it myself, you get kind of convinced that you need something because somebody else told you they hired somebody yeah. in a similar business, or you hire somebody who's very similar to you because mm. you like them and you get along with them. Yeah. It's a terrible idea because in essence, you're not solving for your real needs. So I think being very strategic when you're making hires, this is a very long-winded answer. No, this is perfect. This this is perfect. Um, But yeah, I think really being really thoughtful because you don't have that much money to spend on hires. Yeah. And I just didn't do that well for a long time. Mm. I mean, I normally don't ask a follow-up after that, but I would love to hear what were those first hires for you? That's a good point. Well, I did, well, I should say the first hire actually did, did follow this um, because the first hire was a bra designer. Who's my co-founder who is still at third love. So Mm. that is very obvious. If I want to start a bra company and I'm more the business side of retail, the first person I should be looking to hire is somebody like her who is creative and a designer and all the things. Right. So that made sense. I don't have other specific examples other than probably then maybe, you know, my next five or 10 hires weren't maybe as strategic yeah. um, in terms of just skill sets or, you know, what, what I needed someone to execute on. For sure. Yeah. Awesome. Well, amazing. Heidi, thank you so much for joining me today. And to the listeners out there, uh, make sure to check out Third Love at thirdlove.com. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Starting Small. If you would, Leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Also, follow Starting Small on social platforms and make sure to subscribe to our email so you don't miss anything on Starting Small Summit, more podcast episodes, or our online blog. You can find that link in this description.